2: A rate hike from the Bank of England, as expected, coming through at 0.75% from 0.5% previously. So a 25 basis point hike from Governor Carney and the MPC. Let's cross over to just outside of Threadneedle Street and around the corner where Naira Church is standing by. Bloomberg's very own Naira, go through the headlines for us and get us up to speed on what we're learning this morning from the Bank of England.
3: Yeah, thanks so much, John. This is a unanimous vote for that rate rise. Of course, the rate rise was highly expected, but economists were perhaps expecting a 7-2 vote. We've got 9-0 on the MPC, so perhaps that might send a little bit of a hawkish signal to the markets. More than that as well, what we've got is the long-term trend equilibrium rate. The BOE sees that at about 2 to 3%. This is interesting because, remember, this is the first time we're getting that R star from the BOE. might give some signal to where rates settle in the future and perhaps affect that forward curve, somewhat. Now, some economists, many of them were saying we could get a range of one5 for to 2.5%. So this, of course, is slightly higher at 2 to 3%. Is that also a little bit of a hawkish signal here? Uh, other things that we've had in terms of comments from the BOE, there are tentative signs that protectionism is affecting global growth. So that's a little bit of a sign of some of the risks. Uh, no mentions yet of Brexit, but no doubt Mark Carney will get a lot of questions out of that uh, in the news conference, because, of course, one of the questions here uh, that a lot of people were asking is why the Bank of England would hike into a potential downturn ahead of all that uncertainty around Brexit. But nonetheless, that highly anticipated hike has come. We do still have the comment, though, of limited and gradual. The BOE seeing interest rate increases from here being limited and gradual. And of course, in the news conference, there will be a lot of questions around the guidance of the forward curve and when or uh, how rate hikes might come from here. Is it going to be a one and done? What sort of signals will we get on that,
2: John? Nera great to catch up. With you much more from there through the afternoon and morning, right here on Bloomberg Radio. So, a rate hike from the Bank of England, guilt yields just jump a little bit higher off the back of this decision to unchanged on the down a 10 year and at the front end. The communication from the Bank of England, policymakers agreeing that more rate hikes will be needed off the back of this a little bit of a bounce on sterling a stronger dollar story today so that kind of sort of in the move here cable now almost unchanged on a session down by just a tenth of one percent now at $1.31. tom keen expected it was expected but the street wondering whether this is one and done and the bank of england communicating oh. that more could be coming and then
1: just as remarkable is the complete opposite of what we saw yesterday afternoon with the fed this is some real substance to our u.s listeners There's real substance here, and I would suggest, John, knock on effect to the American economy. This is not discreetly about the United Kingdom and whether the guy from Arsenal will leave for AC Milan.
2: We can get to that a little bit later. Oh, we can do that later. We have got some really good guests coming up. We now. do. two individuals that used to serve on the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee, uh-huh. and we can begin with Adam Posen, Peterson Institute for International Economics President, and he joins us on the phone now. Adam, it's great to have you with us. Let's just begin with the decision itself. If you were back on the MPC, would this have been 9-0?
4: No, I would have, I would have voted against it. And I know Danny Blanchard, you're having on later, would vote against it. And I would presume that a couple of the members currently, more importantly, like the speech John Cunliffe gave a month, month and a half ago, would vote against it. Uh, it's very hard to justify this decision, in my view. How are they justifying it, Adam? They seem to have two things going on. As as Tom put up on the TV, bloom, a TV surveillance, um, that they they think that their output gap is closing, so inflation's around the corner, and they believe their wage uh, forecasts that there's going to be rising wages. Even though, as Blanche Flower and others have pointed out, those forecasts, going back to the time I was on the MPC years ago, have repeatedly been wrong. <coughs>
2: We can bring in Danny now, Danny Blanchard, Dartmouth professor and former Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee member. Danny, I've got no doubt where your vote would have gone last night. Um, Your thoughts on the decision?
5: Well, I I completely agree with Adam. Um, I think what's really interesting is now we're in the world of wishful thinking and guessing. Um, I'm actually trying to read the last four paragraphs of the decision, and there's actually no data whatsoever that sustains they can't come up with any data. Uh, Adam's right. They, they seem to think the output gap has actually is you know, closed a lot. And the only word it's based upon is, is I would essentially summarise what they've written as the data is absolutely horrible. There's no data to support it. But we think it's temporary, and wage growth is about to explode. Um, I yep. think it's. I think Adam has it right. This is a classic, red mistake that will be reversed. Can I just tell you what the data looks like? There's no inflation, no wage growth, the people are borrowing like crazy, raised uncertainty, potential trade wars and Brexit, commercial property values and house prices are falling, business confidence is low, household debts through the roof, insolvencies are rising, GDP growth is weak, and there's no data whatsoever. Sounds like a, a recipe f- for
2: more rate hikes, um, Adam Poston, because that's the communication coming from the Bank of England today. Not just one hike, but agreeing that more is to come.
4: Yeah. And again, often, not always, but often I agree with Danny. And in this case, especially on wages, I always agree with Danny because he gets right. it right. And But I mean, it is interesting. I've said on the show before and elsewhere, you know, I could imagine the Bank of England feeling hamstrung vis-a-vis Brexit because they politically have to play it straight and just be reacting. They can't argue against it. And because the currency could move in crazy ways. But that's not where we are right now, and so I, I do not understand. Right, I, I honestly don't get it,
1: Doctor Posen. I've, I've I've had the privilege of uh, attending a, a packed lecture of David Blanchflower and having the privilege of opi- opining to the Young Turks of Dartmouth. David Blanchflower, if you were in your lecture hall right now, and you and Posen are having a love fest over no rate rise, others disagree. So if I think of Charles Plosser or the Freshwater School or others, uh, Professor Blanchflower, state the case of those that feel carney has got to raise rates to get some room for the next slowdown. Well, the case
5: for those folks is that you have to ignore the data. You go and look at a forecast that you've got wrong the last 20 meetings in a row, and you say we need to raise rates in case the economy slows. Um, and pretend that the fact that you raise rate won't cause the economy to slow. And you're going to ignore the fact that um, there's a potential Brexit disaster coming, and there's trade wars coming. So you have to take a huge leap of faith and say to yourself, um, now is the moment. Something has fundamentally changed. Um, and you're going to have to persuade Blanchard and Posen that you know what it is, but you can't tell us, because there's nothing in the data that actually tells you that this is fundamentally altered. So the risks are to the downside. Yeah. And you've been saying for the last five years that inflation is going to take off and wage growth is going to take off. And you're going to say that it's a, it's really going to happen now. Um, and I'm afraid my class is going to get to vote on this
2: and you're going to lose. <laughs> Adam Posen, I want to get a final thought from you. Typically when a central bank hikes, especially a developed one, there's some optimism around it. It sounds like growth's going to improve and that's why we're normalising. This is a thoroughly depressing interest rate hike. Even the Bank of England might admit that themselves because they're talking about lower potential for the right. economy and bumping up against limitations, which mean inflation pressures are around the corner. How do they convince people in the news conference there's some optimism out there?
4: I don't think they do. I do want to say that you've hit your – you put your finger on the point. The most legitimate argument they can make, and they started making this some months ago, was an argument that potential had fallen. And when you – your estimate of potential, meaning the trend rate of growth is off, you are more prone to mistakes. But central bankers, right. as I said in a Bloomberg list of <clears throat> bank mistakes economists are making, are too caught up in the 1970s mistake. The classic 1970s mistake, Arthur Burns, U.S. Fed, was potential was going down. They thought it was rising. Therefore, inflation took off. In this case, they're probably going the wrong way. They're overestimating how much potential is down, yeah. so they're going to make a mistake in the wrong direction.
2: Adam Posen, it's great to have you with us. He's going to stay with us alongside Danny Blanchflower, get their thoughts on not just the Bank of England, but on central banks worldwide. Great start to the morning, Tom. It was. Plenty to talk about.
1: Yeah. With us, uh, Danny Blanchflower. Uh, who's got a 6,000-square-foot man's just north of Hanover, New Hampshire with Dartmouth uh, College. Uh, Danny, uh, within the good comments of the governor, is truly he makes history raising rates into a huge political debate called Brexit. He said policy, and this was very mathy, Danny, this is something you'd say, policy needs to walk and not run for us to stand still. Boy, are there a lot of dynamics as policy yeah. needs to walk and not run, you and Adam Posen say policy needs to stand still and not walk and not run. Yeah. Why, why can't we get a little bit of normalization in here? Well, times are not normal.
5: Um, I mean, so the, the U.K. economy prior to the Brexit vote was really doing very well. Um, and now we essentially see the forecast showing uh, in many senses to become the sick man of Europe. So you see very low growth. Um, You see lots of pieces of data flashing amber, if not red. And and the MPC's answer is that the capacity of the economy has permanently gone downwards, and now we have to start to raise rates to make things worse. So I mean, I've been since since this all started at seven, I've desperately been trying to read the inflation reports and the minutes, and and it's really completely incoherent as to actually why. They raise rates. It's, I mean, the one thing that really gets me is if you look at one of the charts they have, they say, if we don't raise rates, inflation is going to be 2%. Hmm. So you raise rates because of inflation, but the forecast says there isn't any. And you say, well, we think it's because the eco- economy is at full employment, but we have no evidence to support that. So I'm afraid that the, 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 this is a sort of utter incoherence. There is this it's, concern, I mean, people should read the minutes and look at it and say, why the heck did they yeah. do this when the economy... Is, is under faces huge uncertainty, and Brexit, presumably, is a major downside risk. So I think this is the most incoherent decision I've ever seen from the Bank of England, because if you read the thing through, you can't really work out why they raise
2: rates. Well, there is this concern that the economic potential of the United Kingdom has been diminished by the Brexit conversation and that the UK is about to bump up against supply constraints. You're just flat out saying that's not going to happen, Danny.
5: Well, I flat out am. I mean, uh, I mean you're, you're right. That's what they say. But what's the evidence consistent with that? I mean, I'm allowed to respond by saying, show me something that's consistent with that. Um, And I think the big thing that they've said, the big basis for this is that they think that means that wage growth is going to take off. And I've tweeted a chart from the paper this morning. They said that the last 19 forecasts in a row, they said exactly the same thing. So they're over 19, but now they think it really, really, really is going to happen now. So essentially, this forecast is based on wishful thinking and guessing, because the forecasts have been completely yeah. worthless. So now, so I mean, you're right. I mean, I agree with you. But what what the public and the markets have to think is, well, why should we believe them that today things fundamentally have changed?
2: So, Danny, I want and to get your thoughts that, on what's going, what's going to come next. What's going to come next? I know what you think the Bank of England should do. I want to ask you what you think the Bank of England will do. Is the next move well, really going to be a hike? Or do you think it could actually be a cut?
5: Well, I think the answer is obviously, what what would Adam Poe and Danny Banchler say? They'd say, well, let's see what the data looks like. Let's see how things look going forward. Um, I think the expectation, I mean, I think what we'll see will be the data are not really going to improve. There won't be any rising inflation. There won't be much wage growth. And we'll start to see some bad numbers coming. And so that will mean the pressure will be on to reverse the cut. Yeah. And start to think about putting more stimulus in. I think that's probably where we got. But I would sit and look at the data and I would say, Well, let's see if things how things proceed. But I would be trying to make a decision based upon the data from the real world rather than guessing about a world that they're dreaming about. And I think Adam's pretty much said the same thing. So I'd be a data guy and I think the markets and people listening should say, Let's look at the data. So we just had in the last twenty minutes, the construction PMI came in quite strong. So I would be looking at the data. And I think I think the chances right. are the data is going to come bad.
1: Have you ever seen a divergence like we've seen in the last 18 hours between an American monetary forecast and a U.K. forecast?
5: Well, I haven't. But think about, Tom, Tom actually, let's expand it a little further. Let's expand it to Japan. I mean, so we saw a couple of days before that we saw. Yeah talking about extending QE further, buying further ETFs, keeping rates negative. I mean, obviously, the Fed has been raising rates and put things on hold. And I've been critical of the U.S. But obviously, it you, you would be hard to argue against a 4.1% GDP growth for the first quarter. I mean, that, there is some evidence that there is strength in the U.S. economy. I mean, that, that's the divergence. That number is a big deal. So the data for the U.K., we're talking about some, probably some GDP growth for the whole year of about what we caught for the U.S. for one quarter. So if you have data like that, how does a member of the MPC right. vote and say we should raise rates? The only thing they can say is, oh, it's temporary. And I guess, I'm, I'm hopeful and I guess that this is temporary and it's all no. going to be OK. So I think the answer is the divergence perhaps if you focus on it, is driven by the data. I mean, I, it's hard to say that you should be voting for a rate cut in the U.S. with a 4.1 right. when you've got a 0.3 in Britain.
1: Okay, Danny, thank you so much. David Blanchflower with us, and we greatly appreciate Dr. Posen of the Peterson Institute being with us as well. Professor Blanchflower holds court at Dartmouth College. Why don't you bring in our guest you do you, you don't have a Tesla
2: because I have a Nash. I don't have a Tesla, no. But I can yeah. tell you it's I'm not
1: sure um, trading in the
2: Nashville. Some some, some rare positive price action in a risk aversion session. Um we're up by almost nine percent in the pre market. I want to bring in Brian Johnson, Barclays Capital senior auto analyst to get his thoughts mm-hmm. on the earnings. The headline from the Barclays research this morning boring with a touch of tech bro. Um Brian, walk me through what that means.
6: Uh, Boring, because uh, what we had on the phone call compared to last quarter was a Mr. Musk, who sounded like he uh, stuck to a script prepared by professionals. A touch of tech, bro, because they uh, filibustered or ran down the clock with an extensive discussion of the uh, progress over on the autopilot team, including three members of the autopilot team, Uh, geeking out like a podcast about uh, neural nets and flop rates on
2: uh, fast chips. So what did we learn about the capital position?
6: Uh, You know, cash deteriorated for the quarter, a bit less than we were looking for um, with um, and we'll wait for the queue to see someone put the fix on cash. (laughs) But what we learned is that they are, as we expected, continuing to target profitability for next quarter. CapEx is being substantially reduced right. for the second time. Um, and by not selling ZEV credits, that uh, makes it clear that they're going to sell some <clears throat> next quarter to help them get there.
1: Right. Porsche has revenues of, I'm going to call it $25 billion. I guess Tesla's on its way to $25 billion. Does Elon Musk want to be Porsche? Does he want to be Ford at $157 billion? Or does he want to be some? What's the scale? What's the scale? Dream here for Tesla.
6: You know that, that is, I think, the great um, question that this gets to. We've actually, you know, with a two hundred dollar price target, while we think it's overvalued, we're certainly not out there predicting bankruptcy. Thought that Tesla could make a fine niche manufacturer along the lines, of course, selling a premium brand of product. Uh, globally, that yes is an expensive way. Well, with competition getting ready to be, but brings other attributes. Um, you know, if you compare a Porsche to a Toyota in terms of practicality and economy, obviously the Toyota will win. Uh, but instead, the aspirations seem to be to be the next Toyota. Yeah. and I think the inter- most interesting thing about the quarter and the new guy is, and part of my headline around boring. is they're at least willing temporarily to pull back some of their aspirations. China's not likely to be in production until 2021. Um, You know, and I think uh, there's actually the YouTuber on at the end and saying, wait a second, what about all these brand growth plans still after trucks, pickup trucks? Um, So we'd actually be very happy and probably more supportive of Tesla's shares if it reined in its growth aspirations. However, I wonder if the tech world, which is temporarily entranced by 100% revenue growth, they will get shorter. We actually want that.
1: Okay. Well, what's, and I want to broaden this out with us Brian Johnston. Johnson, Johnson uh, running all of autos for Barclays. Um, if we broaden this out to the greater U.S. economy, have you done the tariff math yet? I mean, John Farrow's been great about saying BMWs in the Carolinas and you got the whole Detroit complex and you're making cars out in a tent in California. What's the Barclays tariff math for the American auto industry?
6: Yeah, really three fronts to the tariff risk trade wars uh, with different implications across the board. Uh, first of all, China, which is probably the most heated, definitely affects Tesla because it's an exporter there as well as BMW and Daimler because of their plants in South Carolina and Alabama. Uh, but for the most of my U.S. auto parts and autos coverage, uh, it's built in China, stay in China. So unless there's some sort of Retaliation against General Motors and other joint yeah. ventures there, not a major worry. U.S. EU, uh, not a whole lot of either parts or trade flow for the American-based automakers and auto parts suppliers. Fiat yeah, Chrysler is the one exception. We actually see light at the end of the tunnel there after <clears throat> last week's meeting. It's frankly in the German automakers' interest, you in know, to have low tariffs between the U.S. and Europe would allow them to take those SUVs that aren't going to China into Europe yeah. more cost effectively. question is, though, can that get through the EU bureaucracy? Uh, third is NAFTA, uh, which is absolutely essential to my U.S. auto and auto parts Companies like General Motors, American Axel, top right. Um, We see some light at the end of the tunnel there around the local content, high-wage... Um, Requirements and that U.S. and Mexico, and of course right. Canada's high wage will go along. Could see an agreement there that would be inflationary, somewhat to the cost base of the OEMs, but frankly, less than the swing we've had a year to date around steel and
1: okay. Block. Brian, really appreciate it, particularly early this morning as well. Brian Johnson, Barclays on Tesla. John Farrell, what do you got over there?
2: i um, listening to the uh, the MPC uh, decision and the consequences of it. Governor Carney in the news conference after the rate hike, someone in the audience asked him about Danny Blanchflower and um, what he thought about whether Danny Blanchflower was was right or wrong. Take a listen to this. It just took place.
5: A former member of uh, this committee, uh, Professor Blanchflower, says that the uh, natural rate is actually a lot lower than that. It could be as low as 3%. And given that Professor Blanchflower's predictions for labour market and particularly earnings growth have been... Uh, recently, a lot more accurate than the banks. Why is he wrong and you're right?
4: Yeah. <laughs> Where do I begin? Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, great respect for Professor Blanchflower, but um, uh, his time in the MPC has passed, and um, this is a judgment of this MPC.
1: I think the, I think the last glacier just <laughs> melted in the green
2: and white mountains. Of the, I mean, we got to get Danny back on, haven't we? let
1: see what's what's going on. This is really important, John. Yeah. Thank you. I missed that completely, John. Thanks for finding uh, that. This is what we try to do at surveillance, and I'm not saying they were listening to Pose and Blanchflower 15 minutes ago, but we're trying to engage a debate, John, that affects everybody's life. Is, 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 a lot
2: of people have responded to the yeah. former MPC policymaker, Danny Blanchflower and the comments he made on this show in the last 40 minutes or so. And um, clearly someone's picked it up and brought it up in the Q&A, yeah. and I think it's fascinating.
1: And, and Governor Carney uh, clearly taking a different tack than uh Well, Dr. he's just Posen hiked rates, and so and he's Professor got to justify Blanchline. the rate hike, hasn't he? He's no, just but hiked I rates. think it is a different cast in theory. Yeah. On not so much the mathiness of economics as in Blanche Flower's classic book, but it, it's on the behavior of people. And the mystery between Carney and Blanche Flower are the times we live in and the technology that's there as well. Can we listen in more to Bank of England? Maybe they'll bring up Adam Posen. <laughs> <laughs> It's been Tech This, Tech That. All of us, all of our listeners, me and Pim, we're all teched out by tech. So, well, we need more. Here's Shiro overday uh, with us. And I want to go to what, no, you know, I've, I've said this for years. You've heard me blather on about it. It's about the engineering and the aesthetic. And part of that is the A6, the A7, the A10, and the A11 bionic chip. So let's get out front of this silly tech debate. What is Apple going to show in September or in March of next year? Is there like an A12 chip coming that all the nerds like you are like, OMG? Uh,
7: I don't know how many people are excited about Apple's self-designed computer chips. besides you, should No, they should be. Absolutely. I think this is what makes it go. Totally. It is definitely one of the um, untold or, or, I think, not widely understood, certainly by the consumer um, tech buyers. That you know, Apple's own self-designed chips are a big reason the company is where it is. That it, it's helped the company advance. It's um, iPhones so and iPads. So what's next? What's the device? buzz
1: on? What, I mean, the last time around, they increased part of the speed. Seventy percent, seven zero.
7: Yeah, and I think the look—it's not really about speeds and feeds, which is I think the things that the tech nerds care about. But if you look at something like the AirPods, for example, that's something that's not possible without. Apple's own um, chip Without engineering work, right? And and so I don't know what's next. To you, be honest with you, at least in terms like of accessories you don't know, like that, it's like
1: that secret.
7: Yeah, it it is that secret. And obviously, there are going to be more Apple uh, iPhones unveiled next month. Uh, September is the period when Apple releases its newest models of phones. So We're expecting, you know, three this time. Our kids our f- are going
1: to go. We need an Apple XI.
8: Well, they'll at least get you to pay for an Apple x an apple 10
1: which will be cheaper. iphone 10 it's, it's such a racket
8: of course it is that's the way it works right Do you realize,
1: between the two of us our monthly fee on this gimmick they have you and i are paying a mortgage
8: well for, for i was going to say a mortgage and an education yeah um, i mean the,
7: the funny thing is that you know cell phones smartphones have become essentially a, a commodity product except for iphones right and that's really i mean give apple credit for doing that that they've convinced people to pay a lot of money for what is essentially a product that they could buy for less from many other vendors.
8: Yeah, but you don't get the uh, you don't get an Apple operating system, right? right. You don't get iOS. You get right. Android, which is not necessarily better or worse. It's just different.
0: I'm doing it's portrait different. mode. I see. Yeah, yeah. You're doing, Tom's taking tweeting, photos. Of me, yeah. Right.
8: But uh, share. Can I just ask you something about it? Have you seen an OLED screen phone?
7: Sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't own one, I but I, I have okay. an old older iPhone. But okay. yes.
8: OLED screens. Yep. When you see the difference between an OLED screen, this is like going back to people who said, Oh, I would never need a forty, whatever it is, inch television right. flat panel. Right. And then all of a sudden they looked at the fifty two inch and they went, Oh, oh, I that I, I oh no, I'm not gonna get this other thing.
7: Yeah, although I I mean again, this is a, a personal If you watch a
8: lot of video. The OLED screens yeah. are amazing. Okay,
7: I I haven't been that thrilled no? by okay. the OLED screens, but that's just me. Maybe I'm. Is Tim sort Cook of weird thrilled by? I,
1: is Tim Cook thrilled by this next? I mean, my whole thing well, here. We usually talk math, numbers, cash flow. Sure, what are they doing? Seven hundred twenty-four dollars? Baloney! Tim Cook's worried about popping the next toy. Right. I mean, it's not. Sure, irre- it doesn't
8: even have an. I watch. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I have watch a watch watch. Do, I have a watch yeah. watch, too. Do you Sorry. have a watch watch? Yes.
1: We all have watch watches. Yep. I mean, they need to keep the beast going with a technological sure. ramp. Come on. Right? I mean,
8: most people... Y- you walk around, you see people with the AirBuds, right? The AirPods. AirPods. You see people with their Apple Watches. It, this is we're like arguing over, you know, angels on the head of a pin here, right? People are going to want this stuff. As far as the uh, new phones go, all of them are going to have facial recognition technology.
1: I believe
7: believe that's correct, although I've now forgotten the reported specs on the new phones, so forgive me. Full disclosure,
1: second day, I got rid of that. Why? Because it took me two days to figure out how to get rid of it.
8: You you didn't (laughs) think it was a, it wasn't personal. No, no, I just okay, think right. I don't
1: have time to screw all around right. with facial recognition. The reason
8: I mentioned the facial recognition <clears throat> technology is now you start to talk about twinning that with health records or with what sensitive information that can then make your life supposedly easier, right?
7: Yes. I mean, look, that is that that is a game, uh, an initiative that all the technology companies are doing that they want to get deeper and deeper into our lives. Um f- You know, for reasons of of helping people, it's definitely true that uh, if we had better access to our electronic health records and it was more digitized and we had access to it without Jumping wait. through digital gymnastics or faxing things to the doctor, or, having, office. To or having to remember your password—having to remember your password—that would certainly be yeah. helpful. But yeah, everything in technology now involves trade-offs wait, in wait, terms wait, wait, of wait. creepiness. Yeah.
1: Share over there with us, who writes brilliantly on Apple for all of Bloomberg and Bloomberg Opinion. I thought the gimmick here was we had share in and it becomes a trillion-dollar company. Wasn't <laughs> Is that it part happening? Of the agreement. That no, it but it's steady. The market's down okay. 196 points, and Apple's like a rock with green on the screen
8: we keep talking also about the apple services business, right?
1: We do, although uh,
7: I think I'm a little bit more skeptical about the services Why? business because others aren't. Yeah, maybe. Look, th- the thing that apple does not talk about, but it does disclose in its financial reports is that this year the biggest driver of growth in that services business is not apple music, it's not app store sales, it's not iCloud, it's not apple care. It's licensing, quote unquote, which uh, includes things like the payments that Google makes to Apple for making Google search the default on its Safari web browsers. So that has little to do directly with demand or interest for Apple's internet services. That's about business arrangements that Apple makes.
8: Tell people what that means.
7: Um, that the it google means to yeah
8: like what when you use when safari when you use
7: safari so if you use safari on your iphone which people probably do or if you use safari on your on your mac computer um, and you do yeah. searches the the built-in option to do those searches is google okay. you can change it most people yeah, don't okay. And um, uh, Google makes payments to Apple for, for making it okay. the default option there. Four
1: beds, three baths, 2,200 square feet, Lebanon Drive in Cupertino, 95014. Clocking in at a, at, a, at, a, at a cool $2.1 million. The thing looks like it could be bulldozed tomorrow. Yeah, boy. How You're do, looking at real estate in Cupertino. Kids, huh? How do kids like you, even if there's some fancy pants engineer, live out in San Francisco and Cupertino?
7: I mean, look, Tom, you you spend time in the Bay Area. You know as well as I know that the number one topic of discussion in the Bay Area anywhere yeah. is Housing prices So what's and what's costs. Tim
1: Cook gonna do for the mere mortals at Apple, only making four hundred thousand a year?
7: Well, I mean, I think Tim Cook would argue that he he pays his people well enough that they can afford to buy homes. It's just the rest of the uh, the rest of the population right. that bear that that maybe can't.
1: Twenty seconds. Do you know the square footage at an Apple store? Is it like cosmetics at Bloomingdale's? I have no
7: idea. Can you figure this out? I don't know. You can, I...
1: O- you can only come back on two accounts. you got to figure out square footage <laughs> at a retail store, because we think it's like cosmetics at yeah. Bergdorf for Bloomingdale's, and you can't come back till it's a trillion-dollar company.
7: Okay, fair enough. I'll take my tape measure down to Fifth Avenue. Okay, share
1: over a day with this <laughs> with Brilliance on Apple. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast.